we are beginning a new series this morning. Um, we're going to turn our attention for the next six weeks to the book of Genesis. I'm going to look at Genesis chapters 1 to 3. Now these chapters really provide us with a biblical understanding of all of life. I mean, where the origin of the universe, who we are, just an understanding of the messy, mixed up, complicated world that we live in. We're introduced to the creation of the world, to our origin and purpose as human beings, who we are. We learn about why evil and suffering and death are a part of our world today. And most importantly of all, Genesis introduces us to our Creator, to our God. And His actions take center stage, beginning with the very first verse in, in the Word of God. And if you, if you know it, Genesis 1, verse 1, I'd invite you to say it with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, it's a simple statement. But it's profound. We, scripture begins with this assumption. That God is, that He exists, that begins with the fact of His existence. And that He created all things. And really, this is Ground zero, the foundation of how God reveals Himself to us. How He reveals Himself to us, these creatures whom He has made. Apart from this, the rest of the Bible really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I even heard it said once that uh, you could argue that the rest of the Bible is in some sense a commentary on this verse. Have you, I don't know if you've ever thought of the Bible that way as a, as a commentary on this one verse. And, uh, you know, it's not totally true, but there is a sense in which that's true because here we're introduced to God. We're introduced to God and to the world that He has made. And uh, now God doesn't leave us just with this one verse about himself. This is the foundation uh, on which he builds the rest of what he says to us in his word. The rest of the Bible describes for us who this God is. Really, really, it's God himself speaking to us and telling us who he is. And how he relates to to our world. How he relates to, to us, his creatures. And so it's a very important passage of Scripture because it begins with God, with his existence and who he is as the creator of all things. All else is dependent on him. And it leaves us really with 
with only two ways of viewing our world. With only two ways of viewing God. One is to accept the truth about God as it is proclaimed in Genesis 1 verse 1 and throughout the rest of the scriptures. To worship Him as Creator. Or we could choose to ignore or suppress this truth that God is the creator of all things and choose to worship creation instead. The Apostle Paul talks about these two ways of viewing the world in Romans chapter 1. And I want to take us there to Romans chapter 1. If you would turn there to verse um, 20 or thereabouts, And the reason that I would like us to look here and to consider this before we consider who God is, it's important that we come to grips with the importance of of God as our creator, as it really does leave us with two options in life, to worship him or to reject him in favor of worshiping creation. Well, Paul writes in Romans 1 verse 20 that mankind is without excuse. And and, uh, why does he say that? He goes back to creation. And we read in Romans 1 verse 20 where God's invisible attributes, even his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly evident ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. He's saying that, that this is the truth about God. His eternal power, His divine nature, it's been evident, it's been visible in the world. In the things that are made, you can see that there is a Creator, God. This is the truth about God. And he goes on to say in Romans 1, verse 25, mankind has exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Notice how Paul points out the truth here, the truth that we read way back in Genesis 1, verse 1, that God is our creator, and that He alone is is worthy of worship. And we see the lie that creation is God, that they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Whatever world religions or philosophies of man we look at, They all deny God as he reveals himself in Genesis 1, verse 1. As as the creator that the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1. And appears in all kinds of different forms. The predominant worldview today is that, that nature is all there is. You see how that is a denial of God. As the creator, there is no creator. 
famous atheist Carl Sagan, he hosted a TV show called The Cosmos, or I think it's just Cosmos. But anyway, he said um, once, and it was rather honest of him to say this. He said, our ancestors worshiped the sun. And they, they were far from foolish people. I'll agree with him on that. They weren't, they're smart people, okay? Weren't idiots, but they worshiped the sun and the stars. And so what does he, he conclude? He concluded then, doesn't it make sense to revere the sun and the stars? And that, that's where the view that nature is all there is leads us. And this is only one of the worldviews that we see today. And in uh, Hinduism and some other Eastern religions, everything is God. There's divine in all things. And this too denies Genesis 1 verse 1, that in the beginning there was God and he created all things. So the lie shows up in many new clothes, but it's still the same. And that lie can be dressed up in religious clothes, too. We can talk about God, and many people can talk about God, but the God that they worship sounds not very much like the God of the Bible. Not very much like the God revealed in Genesis 1 and in Romans and throughout the Bible. But even when a person's doctrine is sound, I think we have to be honest that you and I can easily live a life that in practice really doesn't depend on God, really doesn't worship God as, as the creator of all things. And we need to wrestle with that. And understand and be aware of the these two worldviews. I challenge you to think about any thinking, any any worldview that you come across, even in your own heart. And really, we find that they fall into these two categories. I want to praise God that in spite of the lie, God's uniqueness his the fact that he exists that he is God that he has created all things that he is good has been evident from the very beginning and so we want to talk about that this morning as we open the scriptures to Genesis 1 because it's here that we learn about the one true God as he reveals himself to us and, and we learn that He alone is the sovereign and good Creator. He alone is worthy of worship. I want to read Genesis 1 in, in its entirety to get, just to get the whole picture here. Genesis 1, verse, verses 1 to 31. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God 
was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters into the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it it was so, I think I skipped uh, back a verse there. But, and God saw that it was good. Now we're in verse 13. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for years and for days and for years. And let them be Lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the lights from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth... Uh, I'm getting so mixed up here. I think it repeats itself twice. Okay. And God made, he said, and then he made, verse 25, the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the earth 
according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant, yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth and everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that he, everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Well, there's a lot there in 31 verses. And there's a lot that we could say about the creation account. And we're going to talk a little bit more about creation design and role and purpose next week. I want to draw your attention, first of all, to the Lord God. God is is the subject of this chapter. I don't know if you noticed how many times he is mentioned. I think it's 32 is what I wrote down. 32 times in 31 verses where God is not only mentioned, but he is he is active. He is one who is working sovereignly, powerfully, perfectly creating all things well and providing for for his creation as at the end he provides for the animals and the the creatures of the earth. So we, we see that God is active in creation. When you think about the God that you serve, is that a description that comes to mind? Would you see God as actively involved in this world? Or is he passive and distant? Genesis 1 presents us with a God who is active and involved in his world. He was active in creation. We are told in the New Testament that he holds all things together by the word of his power today. He is continuing to be active in this world and not only in creation, but in redemption, as we'll go on to talk about over the next couple of weeks. But not only is God active in creation, Genesis 1 verse 1 
and, and continuing on, it clearly distinguishes God from all creation. He is the creator. Everything else comes from him. The Hebrew phrase there in verse 1, the heavens and the earth, was a way, uh, it was a way of saying God created absolutely everything. The universe. And we see that he also not only creates the world, but he fills the earth with life. From this we learn that God is utterly unique. He's not a part of creation. He is holy and exalted over all things. He alone is the eternal sovereign God. You know, the scriptures express this truth many, many times over. But I want to take you to one place that I especially love, and that is the Psalms. And in Psalms 93 to 100, we have this group of Psalms that describes for us God enthroned above the heavens, acting as creator and ruler and judge. The one example, I'm going to take you to two of those Psalms. Psalm 96 and then Psalm 97. One example of of where Psalm 96 talks about the Lord is this eternal, sovereign, holy God. Psalm 96 verse 4 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Why? Can someone answer that from the very next verse? Psalm 96, verse 5. He is to be feared above all gods. He is to be greatly praised. Why? Yes. Not only did he make the heavens, but who, who who else made the heavens? Was there somebody else making the heavens? What about all the other gods that we people worship? The, the idols that they would worship? What does it say about those gods? Verse 5 says, For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. They have no power. They are not God. They're not creator. They're not able to do what God has done. The Lord is unique. He alone is God. Because He alone made the heavens and the earth. At its very core, the message of God's Word is that God is our Maker. This is what God is revealing to us, His creatures. That He is our Maker and we are under His authority because He is uniquely God and He is sovereign. And so there is no other God whom we could worship besides Him who is worthy. He alone is worthy. But I I love Psalms 93 to 100 not only for that fact, not only because they reveal the sovereign God, 
who is good, who alone made the heavens. But also because they don't just tell us God is sovereign, that he is the creator. They resound with praise and great joy because God is our maker. So if you flip the page or turn to Psalm 97, it begins, the Lord reigns. He is sovereign. He is the one to whom belongs all authority. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. And we are called to join in that in, in pretty well all of these songs. And Psalm 97 ends in, in, in verse 11. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Why? The Lord reigns. Why? Because He is our Maker and because of His sovereign and good rule. Those who worship God can rejoice. Because he is the source of joy. When we lose sight of God's uniqueness as our sovereign creator, we also lose sight of the joy and the light that is described in Psalm 97, verse 11, and, and throughout all these psalms. This joy that is proclaimed in the psalms is first begotten. In Genesis chapter 1, with the God who is active in creation, with a God who is sovereign over all of creation, and a God who is so good. And we see his goodness. We're going to talk about his goodness for a few minutes here. Genesis 1 verse 2 begins in a, in a unique way. It's maybe not what you'd expect immediately after God created the heavens and the earth. It says the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And scripture doesn't really give us an explanation as to why the earth was first Formless and void. It just says that it, it was. But it's what God does with it that is significant. And, and I believe that God created the world in this way that he might establish a pattern of who he is. That he would reveal himself to us in this act of creation from the very beginning. And, and we not only see a God who is all-powerful, who is a creator who always existed, but we see here that God is a relational God. A God who brings order and beauty and life out of chaos. God who is good. Now what, do I, what do I mean by that? God is a relational God who brings order and beauty and life out of chaos. God is, is good. 
When I say that God is a relational God, I want to point you to some things that we often miss when we read Genesis chapter 1 because it's very subtle and it's not always explained clearly, nor do I necessarily feel like I always can explain it clearly. But in Genesis 1, we catch glimpses of what theologians have called the plurality of the Godhead, what we have come to know in, in uh, Christian tradition and called the, the Trinity. We see hints of this, for example, in Genesis 1, verse 1, where God... Um, is referred to with the plural form, Elohim. So God is referred to in a plural form. And what does that mean? I mean, how do we understand that, right? And yet, that same verse uses the singular form of the word created. So that we see a plurality and a unity in this passage. And there is a mystery here at that point. We see God again refer to himself in the plural in Genesis 1 verse 26. And God says, let us make man in our own image. And of course, it could be really easy. And at first glance, it, it seems confusing. And, and so why would we bother to think about this. It's, it's, it's just too confusing, we may think. But these details point us to something, what you might call a plurality or a fullness to who God is. And this is a fullness and plurality that the scriptures explain in further detail. In places like John chapter 1, verse 1 which begins in the beginning. And it says, in the beginning, the Word. Now, the Word is a new character in, in John. John is just introducing the Word to us. And the Word, we later find described in the chapter as the Lord, as God, as Jesus. Jesus is the Word. And John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, where? The creation of the heavens and the earth. And in that verse, the word, it says the word was with God. So there is that plurality again. There's a distinction somehow between God and the word. A distinction in, in person. But it goes on in very next phrases, and the word was God. So the word was with God, and the word was God. When it says the word was God, it means that he was of the same being or essence. Saying that Jesus was of the same being as God. He is God. Not only was he God in the beginning, but the author, John, the apostle, makes the point that Jesus is God today. And so there is this 
the point that I want us to draw out is that from the very beginning, we see this relational aspect to God within himself. Eternally existing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as God. Relating to one another in love and in goodness as God. And this, this matters because this is who he is. This is who he reveals him, how he reveals himself to us. And, and scholars will argue about how clear this was in Genesis chapter 1 and whether we should draw this out from Genesis 1 or not. All I know is that there is this indication, this hint, these hints towards what the rest of Scripture makes more clear to us. That this is who God is. Trinity and unity. And he reveals to us himself this himself to us this way. And he relates to us as a triune God. A relational good God. But not only do we see that God is a relational God, that he is Trinity and unity, we also see that he brings order and beauty and life out of chaos. He takes the darkness in verse 2. And what does he say in verse 3? He said, let there be light. And he takes what was formless and void. Again, verse 2. And he creates the sky. And the dry land with boundaries for the sea. So, um, Genesis 1 verses 7 to 9. And so God establishes this pattern of working in creation. Over and over we are told God said it was so. And that God saw that it was good. For six days God speaks. And each time it happens exactly as he says. And each time God sees that it is good. Now we could point out that this pattern reveals God's power and authority. Which is amazing. I mean everything he says. What he says happens. It comes into existence out of nothing. But this pattern also reveals to us that God delights in what is beautiful and orderly and good. In fact, every time that we read, God saw that it was good. In verses 4 and 10 and 12 and 18 and 21 and 25 and 31, we're reminded that, that God is the source of everything good and beautiful and true. And, and, and he is also the standard of that which is good and beautiful and true, for he created all things in a way that was good. God works in ways that bring beauty and goodness out of chaos because he is beautiful and good. 
God always acts according to his goodness. So much so that when Moses asked to see the glory of God in Exodus 33, God says in, in Exodus 33:19, I will make all of my goodness pass before you. And, and, and Moses, he says, I'm only going to show you my backside because God's goodness is so great, so immense, so holy, so perfect that sinful man could not see the fullness of the goodness of God. I hope that we can see the goodness of God in every page of his word, including Genesis chapter one and how he relates to our world and how he provided for all of creation. Food. And. And really that we would see his goodness in every moment of our lives today. That we would see the sovereignty of God. That He is the ruler of all. The creator of all. That He is good from beginning to end. Now that is a God that we can trust and worship and place our hope in. Now we've talked about a lot. So, so what, are, what have we learned so far about God. We've learned that He is active in creation. He is actively involved in our world. We've learned that He's utterly distinct from all creation. That, that He alone is the eternal, all-powerful, sovereign Creator. Because He created all things heavens, the earth, and everything in them. We also learn that God is a relational God. And He is good in all that He does. He has established a pattern in creation of His goodness. In short, Genesis 1 reveals to us our God is the one true God. The one true God who is sovereign and who is good. Now, in what way does God call us to respond to his description of himself? What hope do these truths bring to your heart today? How do they change the way that we live? We see the sovereignty and goodness of God. Remember the truth and the lie. Romans chapter 1 and verse 25. Worshiping the creature, creation, or the creator. You know, the significance of Genesis 1 verse 1 cannot be overstated. In our, in our understanding of, of life and who God is. Because it affirms the uniqueness and supremacy of God above everything in the universe. 
when we come to a passage like Genesis 1 that clearly reveals God to us. And the whole Bible is revealing the Lord God to us in so many ways. His sovereignty, His goodness. We could go on and on. We really reach a crossroads. A choice. And there are only two roads to take. To believe God's Word and to worship Him alone to see that He is sovereign and He is good. That is a joy to serve Him. Or to believe the lie and to choose to worship something in all in, in creation. And we face these choices every day of our lives and we face the reality of who God is every time we open up the Word of God and we have a choice. Have to, how will we respond? to this revelation of God to us. So we're at that crossroads again today. What do I believe about God? Whom do I serve today? Now, as we think about that, I want to leave you with one final thought. The God who is active in creation is actively redeeming His creation today. The one true God who was sovereign and good in creation is sovereign and good today. It's who He is. He's worthy of our worship. 